Please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter four. Luke four, our scripture reading will be the first uh, 13 verses of this chapter. Luke 4, 1 through 13, and following the reading of scripture, we'll sing the Gloria Patri print, printed for you in your bulletin. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up uh, to a high mountain place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to them, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from there. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift up you in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered and said, said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. And God will add his blessing to this reading of this word. Amen. After Jesus' baptism by John and then his being recognized by the triune God as the Son of God and his being anointed by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is then sent to the first stage of his ministry as Messiah in his work of the Messiah, and he's being sent into battle. Now, uh, I want to go through a few general things before we get into the actual temptations themselves. Uh, some of you will have observed and noticed that the order of the temptations here in Luke is different than that given to us in Matthew 4, in Matthew's account of the temptations. In Matthew, his, his order is stones to bread, uh, leaping from the temple, and then the kingdoms of this world. And you remember, you notice here in Luke, uh, there's a little bit of a difference. Stones to bread, uh, the kingdoms of the world bowing to Satan and leaping from the temple. Now I bring this up so that I can encourage you to realize there are no errors in the Bible. It's not that there's a problem with the scriptures, that there's something wrong in this, that one account was right and the other is uh, wrong. We have to remember, it's helpful for us to remember that the gospel writers were not writing, strictly speaking, biographies of Christ. Each of them had an audience, each of them had a, a goal and a purpose in what they were writing. For example, Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience to show that Jesus Christ was indeed the Messiah, the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Uh, and the phrase you'll see repeated over and over in Matthew's gospel is, 
This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, and then they'll quote. Uh, Mark, he was written to a Gentile audience, probably a Roman audience, and he was a man of action. And the repeated phrase you'll hear read in, in Mark is the word immediately. Immediately Jesus did this. Immediately this happened. He's keeping the action going. Luke is written. He's the physician. He's written to a, a broader Gentile audience to communicate the humanity and the compassion of Christ and certain significant elements of his life. And then John, uh, the last written, had a more universal uh, direction, uh, as in the verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so the gospel writers are including uh, what they're including and the order they're including it to underscore their specific purpose. William Hendrickson gives a great defense for the fact that Matthew is the uh, order that they happened. And another writer was just reflecting on Luke. In Luke, the temple is an important element. So when we get to the conclusion of the birth narratives at the end of chapter two, where is Jesus? He's in the temple. When we get to the very end of the gospel, after his ascension, uh, we find the disciples, where are they? They're in the temple. And so Luke, having that be important to him, goes through these uh, temptations and has, has as his concluding one, Jesus at the temple. And so there'd be a reason why Luke might reorder them, but there's not a mistake. Well, why did God give us this account of this temptation? What's the purpose in it? Why do we have it? Uh, is it to teach us how to handle temptation? Now, there are many things we learn in this account that are very beneficial for us and profitable for us in dealing with our own experience with temptation. But that's not why we have this account. The reason we have this account, the purpose for it, is to underscore the character of Jesus and the purpose of which he came. He, as the Son of God, the King of Kings, came to do battle with the prince of this world. That's why in the whole account of Jesus' life, uh, more than anywhere else in all of scripture, you have this intense demon activity. There's a warfare going on. And Jesus Christ has come to restore man to the kingdom that, they, that man lost in the fall of Adam and Eve. And so the very first element of his work as the Messiah is to go forward as the warrior for the Lord and the warrior for God's people into battle with the enemy. And this encounter between Christ and Satan is a kingdom conflict. It's to demonstrate Jesus' glory as the one who rule over and defeat. And so to give you and I hope that as Jesus was victorious, you and I can be victorious. When you and I engage in the spiritual battle we're engaged in, and we're dealing with the temptations we have to deal with, we can share in the victory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is, 
He is the Lord who's come to do battle with the evil one. It was prophesied at the very beginning. When God is condemning the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and then he, a seed of the woman, will come and he will crush your head while you strike at his heel. Christ has come, Christ has come to do what God promised that he would do, to defeat the evil one and ultimately overthrow him in his cross. Well, Jesus came prepared for this battle. He had been anointed by the Holy Spirit. We have that in the first part of this. Um, Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan. Uh, So Christ has been prepared. He's committed to the Father's will. Uh, In in Luke chapter 2, when He's talking to his parents. Jesus says, why did you seek me? Do you not know I have to be about my father's business? Christ came to do the will of the father. He was prepared for this by his anointing by the Holy Spirit. And you and I are reminded that you and I have to be prepared. We need to prepare ourselves for the the spiritual battle that we're engaged in. How do we do that? We do that by being committed to glorify God. Uh, We do that by being filled with the Spirit. And if you compare Paul's two letters, Ephesians and Colossians, in Ephesians 5, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. The parallel section in Colossians 2 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How is it that we're filled with the Holy Spirit? It's because the word of God fills and and, uh, totally encapsulates our heart and our life. It's the word of God and the spirit of God that fills us and prepares us for our own battle. But Christ was prepared and the Holy Spirit led him. Other translation says delivered him or drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by the serpent. Now you and I sometimes struggle with this because didn't Jesus teach us to pray, lead us not into temptation? And the Bible makes it very clear, God does not tempt anyone. And no one can say when he is tempted, James says, I'm being tempted by God for God tempts no one. God doesn't tempt us He doesn't try to lure us into wrongdoing. He doesn't try to entice us into wrongdoing. And that's what we're praying, praying that he not do uh, when we're praying that prayer. But God does plan for our faith to be tested. For trials to test uh, and strengthen and purify our faith. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he talks about that. In talking about the great treasures we have laid up for heaven, he says, but, but in the meantime, we go through various trials so that our faith, more precious than gold, may be proved genuine on the day of Christ. And just as God allowed Job to go through a trial, not to destroy him, but to strengthen him, sometimes you and I, in God's Providence will go through a trial, not to destroy us, 
but to strengthen us, to test our faith. And we come to this temptation now, here Jesus driven into the desert to be tempted by the serpent for uh, at this time in his life. Uh, he, verse two says, for 40 days he was tempted by the devil and he ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry. Jesus was driven out into the desert and Philip Ryken has a, a, wonder, a very wonderful way, a neat way of putting this. The first Adam departed from the path, he sinned against God and he was banished from paradise and driven into the wilderness. The second Adam goes into the wilderness so that he might bring us to paradise. Adam had it easy. He had everything he needed. And Jesus is in the desert and had nothing. Well, we come to the three temptations. What's the first temptation? Verse three, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now, the, the devil had no doubt as to who Jesus was. He knew exactly that he was the son of God. And in the Greek grammar, the little word if sometimes is an uncertain condition. Well, I don't, I'm not sure if it's true, but if that's true, then this would happen. But there's another very common use of it, and it's a, an if of certainty. Uh, it could be translated uh, since. Some translations in certain texts it is. But since you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Just as a parallel example, turn to Philippians uh, chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, first few verses. In this first verse, you will see, I think, four or five ifs. Some of your translations may translate it since. But let me read them in the, the following verses. It says, Philippians 2, 1, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, Paul in verse one, after as the, the foundation for the instruction he's going to give us that follows, in verse one, he's not saying, well, I don't know if there's any encouragement. No, he's saying, well, since you have encouragement and, and since you have comfort and since you have fellowship and since you have tenderness and compassion, then do this. Well, when Satan is speaking to Jesus in these temptations, and he's going to say if again, he's not in any way, he does not doubt who Christ is. Uh, his statement is, well, since you're the son of God, you need to turn this stone into bread. What was the focal point of this temptation? What is, what is he trying to 
tempted uh, Jesus to do. He's trying to tempt Jesus to doubt the providence of God. He's trying to get Jesus to doubt the goodness of God. The temptation is essentially this. Jesus, you're the son of God. And certainly, surely, if you had a good father, he would not let you be hungry. You're the son of God. You can feed yourself. You can turn that stone into bread. It's a simple thing. It's a little thing. Go ahead and do it. Satisfy your hunger. But the implication throughout is God is not good. Because if he was good, he wouldn't let you suffer like this. You see, in this case, it's exactly parallel to the first temptation in the garden. When Satan came to Adam and Eve, what was he saying to them? He was saying to them, surely if God was a good God, he'd give you that fruit. A good God wouldn't keep you from that fruit. A good God wouldn't keep you from becoming like him, knowing good and evil. He's not a good God. He's going to question God's word too, but essentially the focal point to Adam and Eve is, is God good? And they came to decide no. And Satan is saying to Jesus, God's not good. You need to feed yourself. You need to turn that stone into bread. And Jesus is going to respond to him. And he's going to say, it is written. He's quoting from Deuteronomy in each of his quotations. Here, Deuteronomy 8.3. It is written, man does not live by bread alone. <clears throat> now, Jesus was not demeaning our need for food. He was not demeaning the proper uh, time to get food or that that was the wrong thing for him to be hungry or to desire food. He wasn't saying any of that. He wasn't saying, well, we just need to read the Bible and we'll be able to survive. Uh, what his point is, I depend on God's plan and God's word and God's truth. And he's a good God. He's a good father. And his word is what I need. And I'm going to depend upon him. Man doesn't live by bread alone. He lives in dependence upon God's good word. And so the temptation doubt God's goodness. And Jesus says, no, I won't. God is good, even though I'm hungry. And it's an encouragement for you and I and our temptations not to doubt the goodness of God. Well, the second temptation he comes to Jesus and he takes him to a high place and shows him the kingdoms of the world and, and uh, <clears throat> Satan had been given for a time the ability to give those to whoever he wanted to. He was the prince of uh, the power uh, of this world, the prince of darkness in this world. And Jesus doesn't uh, contradict him or rebuke him on that. But Satan says, if you'll just now bow down and worship to me, I'll give you the authority and the glory of all these nations. If you'll just bow down and worship me. <clears throat> well, what's the focus of this temptation? The focus of this temptation is for him to get off the path. He's on the path 
It's in serving the Father. And it's not that Jesus wasn't going to get all those things that Satan had promised. Jesus knew he was going to get all of that from the Old Testament prophecies. But what Satan was offering is you can have all those and you don't have to go to the cross. Just step off the path. Don't go to the cross. Just worship me and I'll give it all to you. And the temptation is to get, out, to, to, to get off the path. And Jesus agonized over his death. Many, several times in his life we <clears throat> have his heart burdened because of the cross that was going to be ahead of him. But he responds to Satan. He says, it is written, here Deuteronomy 6.13, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I will not leave the path. Uh, God alone needs to be worshiped. And there's a, a unique way where in this temptation and this confrontation with Satan and Jesus, we see uh, an exact uh, contrast between what had been offered to them. Satan was a, a prince of an angel. He was created with glory. Uh, perhaps one of the, the higher levels of angels that God had created in the spiritual world that God had created. And the offer would come to him, are you going to stay the path? Are you going to leave the path? And Satan said, I am not going to stay the path. And he rebelled against God and he fell. And in contrast, here we have the son of God who the same temptation comes to him. Will you get on, will you stay on the path and go to the cross because it's the will of your father? Or will you get off the path and take an easier way and, and avoid the cross? And he says, I'm going to stay the path. I'm going to remain obedient to the father. Satan refused to stay on the path of God's will. Jesus refused to leave the path of God's will. And the temptations that come our way are exactly that as well. Will we get off the path? The third temptation is the temptation where the devil takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple, the high point of the temple. Whether <clears throat> he walked him up there or whether he took him there and by virtue of a vision, uh, he took him to the pinnacle of the temple and he, he says to him, uh, throw yourself down. And he's going to quote scripture. Uh, that standing at the pinnacle of the temple would have been one of those scary places where you're looking over and, and uh, wonder if you're going to fall over. What Satan does, he quotes scripture. He says, well, Jesus, he, perhaps he's thinking, well, Jesus is quoting scripture, so I'll quote scripture too. <clears throat> and he quotes a couple verses from Psalm 91. Throw yourself down for... It's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So he's imitating Jesus by quoting scripture, but pulling it out of context. Uh, Calvin writes about this strategy. He says, this is the same kind of stratagem he continues to daily employ <coughs> And the Son of God, who is the universal model of all the godly, 
chose to undergo this contest in his own person, that all may be industriously on, industriously on their guard against being led by a false application of scripture into the snares of Satan. You can take almost any verse out of context and make it to say whatever you want it to say. We see this in the, the pathway of the cults all the time. They'll take a verse of scripture and they'll yank it out of its context and make it mean and say anything you want it to say. So you might hear Jesus' words, do not lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And someone could pull that out of context and say, well, don't worry about saving money. Don't worry about planning for the future. Don't uh, be uh, conserving with your money. Just spend it all. Well, that would be foolhardy. Um, God has given to you these resources and you do treasure the resources of heaven. You don't live for this world, <clears throat> but you can't pull that text out of scripture and make it say something it's not saying or contradict other scriptures. And that's what Satan is doing. That's what people can do. They'll take a, a verse out of scripture and apply it in a way that's not in any way appropriate, not meaning what that text really means when you look at the context. <clears throat> um, I've said this to some friends. I had a friend in college, uh, Mary's husband, Dave, he and I were, knew this person. <clears throat> and if you were gonna borrow, you would ask to borrow a quarter for a candy bar or a Coke or something. They were that cheap then. <clears throat> ask him to borrow, he would, he would say, well, the Bible says, um, the wicked borrow and do not repay. Someone finally called his bluff and read the second half of the verse. The second half of the verse says, but the righteous are generous and give. <laughs> so you can take a piece of a verse or a verse out of context and make it say something it doesn't mean at all. And that's what Satan was doing here. It's uh, foolhardy, Jesus' response from Deuteronomy 6.16, do not put the Lord your God to the test. <clears throat> the temptation is to presume on God's providence. It may sound like a real great act of faith, but it's foolishness, it's stupidity. Well, let me be stupid and God will clean up the mess. Well, many times he does clean up the mess, but that doesn't mean he's not gonna let you experience the consequences of your foolishness. Do not put the, uh, the Lord your God to the test. <clears throat> Do not presume on his providence. Stay on the path of obedience and he will care for you, he will lift you up. And the section ends when the devil had ended every temptation or all kinds of temptations. He departed from him until an opportune time. Jesus experienced a taste of, in general, all the kinds of temptations that you and I will go through. And so as you and I reflect on this passage, there are things that are helpful for us in thinking about dealing with our own temptations. <clears throat> uh, the question, is God good? 
Will you stay on the path of obedience? Will you be presumptuous of God's grace, of God's providence? Helpful things for us to think about using scripture to battle against our temptations. But the preeminent thing I want you to think about as we've reflected on this is to see your savior, Jesus Christ. He entered this battle for you. He engaged the enemy for you because we're in a spiritual battle. Jesus Christ engaged the evil one so that his victory might be, but might be ours. And to illustrate and remind us of our help in him. Uh, The writer of Hebrews says, in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are being tempted. He went through temptation to do battle with the enemy, but also that in experiencing temptation, he would be a merciful and faithful high priest. Help us in our temptation. Uh, The writer of Hebrews goes on to say that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Therefore, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Do we have help in temptation? It's because of our Savior. He has become the faithful, the merciful, the compassionate, the helpful high priest. And through him, we come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. May you cling to him and by his grace, persevere through those temptations to stay the path for the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for our Lord Jesus Christ and the glory of his person and being. Thank you that he entered the battle with the evil one so that we might have hope in him to also be victorious, to have hope that we can uh, make our way through the trials and temptations of this world and say no to them. Not because we're strong, but because he is strong and his strength can be made perfect in our weakness. Help us, O Lord, to rest in him and cling to him and follow him in every way in all the challenges that face us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.